0: What's up Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It's David and Isaac. this is the ethos Grizzlies podcast. We are here today with a special guest, Justin Lewis from Grizzly Bear Blues with uh, SB nations Grizzly Bear Blues, I guess I should say. Justin, how's it going man?
1: man it's good We uh we we managed to get two kids under two years old out to zoo lights and uh, make it back in one piece so uh, it's all it's all good over here.
2: Justin actually, not only is he with Grizzly Bear Blues, he just had a new venture, going to be doing some stuff with Basketball News, man. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Oh, yeah, I wasn't going to bring it up, but uh, I um, I talked with Alex Kennedy back in August about an editor position, and I'd never done editing. And uh, they, they promote it from within. But then he reached back out to me um, last month, and they kind of created a position for me over there at Basketball News to be an editor and training, but also get to contribute to cover the NBA uh, beyond the Grizzlies and just uh, kind of give me a platform to to have a little bit bigger voice. So um, I'm a, I'm pumped to be the least talented person over at BasketballNews.com. So
2: oh, too, too too modest, man. But I've I've dealt with Alex. I've had Alex on my show radio show back in the day a couple times, and man, he's a good dude, man. I love talking hoop with him, man. He he knows his stuff, man. And I'm excited. I'm sure that's going to be a, a great opportunity for you.
1: Yeah, I'm excited too. Alex is awesome.
0: So man, we we had you on and, and I was gonna wait till later, but let's just let's just rip the band-aid off. <laughs> Justin, if you guys are not aware, Justin is probably the biggest Dylan Brooks hater out of anybody in the Grizzlies fan base. So I, I want to have this discussion. I want to know like where this started and what kind of fuel you have to uh to fuel your hatred. Like what what is it that you have against Dylan Brooks? I guess is what I'm after.
1: So for for me, there there let me just like preface this with there is a version of dylan brooks that i'm okay with being on the team and if you go back and you look at the the clippers game the first one of the season and and you look at the way that dylan played that game and the role that he played in that game that that's the dylan that i'll shut up and won't say a word about but it, it stems partly from me being a basketball coach and seeing what he does on the floor um if 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 he played for me, you know, obviously I wouldn't be coaching the NBA, but if I had a kid with the kind of mindset that he had at times, um I he wouldn't play for me. And it's it's tough to see, especially this season. Like I, I get it in the past where it was he was this necessary evil, um where you had you had to at times live with him taking 20 to 21 shots and you know, maybe 12 to 15 of those shots just weren't good shots. Um, and and it, I, I don't think it's that way anymore. And I think that's why I've kind of doubled down uh, this season on the way that I feel about them, because now you've got Desmond Bain. You don't need 21 to 25 shots from Dylan Brooks that are forced. You don't need somebody that can create their own shot off the dribble when things aren't going right, because you've, you've got somebody else that can do that at a much, much higher level. Um, I think that he's a ball stopper on offense. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first game that he uh, went in on quarantine um, three games ago, the Grizzlies tallied their second highest assist total of the season. Um, I, I don't think he should ever be in the top four of shots in a night when you've got Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant. Um, I think that, his defense on point guards is vastly overrated. He's not good at point of attack defense. Um, he gets blown by. You just go look at Donovan Mitchell, Damian Lillard, uh, Steph Curry. Those guys aren't aren't his strong suit. Where, where I think that Dylan is best at is number one catch and shoot shooting. Don't give him time to think about it, and don't put the ball on the floor. Just catch it and shoot it. When he, he when he dribbles for a three pointer, he's not going to hit it. And then attacking the basket. I, I was pleased with him early in the season when he was attacking the basket and get to the free throw line because he is shooting it at a really high rate from the free throw line, which is even more frustrating because it tells you typically that if they shoot well from the free throw line that it should translate to other parts of the floor. But the thing with him is shot selection. Um, the fadeaways from the mid range have given me all my gray hairs, not having two kids. Um, and it's just one of those deals where – I've talked with people within the Grizzlies organization. Um, I, I'm not going to reveal anything because of who it was because it wasn't on record. Um, but it was one of those deals where he can be really good within what they do. He can be great within the offensive system. But the thing is, is when he starts to play well, he begins to force things because he's a legend in his own mind. Um, and I, I get the aspect of the fan base that just loves his energy, that he's the, the emotional leader of the team. And he, and he brings a different attitude, and and I get and I understand that fully. Um, I just think his strong suit is guarding the guys like Paul George and LeBron James and Luka Doncic, the guys that are about his size that aren't just significantly faster than him, and being physical with them and beating them down and getting in their head and doing those kind of things. Um, and, and off-ball denial, he's, he's good with his energy there, although sometimes he gets back cut pretty easily. Um he is he is very much trick-or-treat 2.0. Um, Tony Allen 2.0 with a little bit more offense. And if we're gonna be real honest, when it was core four as a Grizzlies fan, I didn't love Tony Allen. And so it just has I love Dylan even less because there's so much more talent around him that needs more touches, and I think he takes away from what this offense can do. And if if you want to talk about Alex Kennedy and his mind for basketball, when I when I mentioned to him that uh the Grizzlies should trade Dylan Brooks so that the touches went to De- Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant. He didn't disagree, but he's also a, a Desmond Bain homer. So that might may have played into his song. So there, there's, there's the main gist of it. That was long-winded, but um, I, I guess I really haven't had a chance outside of Grizzly Bear Blues to explain uh, my disdain for Dylan Brooks, but there it is.
0: No, that's good, man. You, you got it all out there. I I can agree with certain points in there. Um, You know, th- the thing for me, like the shot selection, that's something that that I have an issue with. And, you know, I, I sent the, the tweet out, I guess it was last week or maybe a couple weeks ago now, about the team was mostly healthy and Dylan was leading the team in shots. And that that's not, to me, that's not what the Grizzlies need to be doing if, if they want to win night in and night out. Not because, you know, I'm in the same boat as you, like w- with a – a grudge against Dylan Brooks, but you have better options. You have guys that are more efficient and he, he fits this system. Like Jenkins is all about, you know, if you got a shot, take it. And so like that, that's good for Dylan Brooks because he's not shy. He's going to take the shots. But I I think that somebody needs to reel that in to a certain Like if he's hot and he's knocking down the shots, there's times where, you know, he can, he can carry the offense, but you don't want to see that night in and night out or, or I don't, but man, I, I don't know that I, I fully agree with the, the point of attack defense thing. I, I go back to a couple of years ago when they were playing uh, Houston at the forum and, and he was guarding James Harden. Harden's not as quick as some of the guys that you mentioned in uh, Mitchell Lillard and, and um, Steph, but, you know, some of the, the the best offensive guys in the league, he's done a great job on defensively. And I know going back to the most recent Warriors game, uh, you know, Steph blew up, he, what, he, like 42 or 44. I don't even remember what he scored, but 46. it was over 40. 46,
2: yeah. yeah.
0: Um, you know, he was only two for seven whenever Dylan was guarding him in that game. So, you know, like the, the majority of those 46 points came when other people were guarding him.
1: No, yeah, I, I understand. I think even with Damian Lillard, somebody had tweeted me the stat of the exact numbers of when Dylan um, was was guarding him. But I just don't think long-term him guarding those point guards is what's, what's best because he can't stay with them. Um, two for seven, he gets seven shots off. That tells me that he was denying him the opportunity to get – um the ball when it was out of his hands uh because like I can't remember what playoff game it was it might have been the play-in game against the Warriors where he was just relentlessly denying Steph um all over the court and Steph struggled to to even get the ball and so I think the low shot attempts is something that I'm I, I get and I'm fine with I just don't buy into Dylan being able to guard like stay in front of them now he is physical with him, and he, when he recovers, he'll give them a bump with the body. But if I've got somebody like you know Mitchell, if you see what he did in the playoff series, and it wasn't just to him, he he torts our entire team. Yeah, um, it's and when usually too, when you blow by somebody on the perimeter, you, your help defense is going to be there, so they're not going to yeah. end up taking a shot, and they're going to they're going to kick it out. Um, and that forty six point forty six point game against Steph. I, I'm not really going to point towards Dylan on that one because a lot of that – there was a lot of illegal screens that the Warriors got away with that night. Um, and it's really tough to to chase somebody through double screens and triple screens and stay with them and do all that. So that's not even a game that I'm like, oh, 46 points. That was on on Dylan Brooks. That's his fault. Um, but I do think it's worth noting that our defense has been just fine the three games that he's been out. Um I don't know if that's just coincidental or if it's – and I will honestly say that I think our defensive development has nothing to do with Ja being out or Dylan being back. I think it has everything to do with the teams getting used to Steven Adams being on the back end of the defense. Um, I think adding him and having to figure that part out and and having that new voice back as the anchor and then Jaron having to take more minutes on as the anchor of the defense as well and because Jaron hasn't played that many games with this group either because of all of his injuries. So I think that's more the story of the team defense um, than Dylan returning or that 12-game stretch without ja. um, I Look, I want to be wrong about Dylan, and I have been open to being proven wrong. It's just I'm at the point now where I'd rather see three other guys get the ball significantly more than him, and he's just not on board with that plan.
2: And I think I think offensively I think I agree with you with the, the tunnel vision or times you, you on most nights you don't want to see him in top top three uh, of shots taken and you can go back to those two games the Portland game which is the game before jaw returned I think he took 25 shots in that one and uh, the ensuing game when Jaw returned against the thunder I think he took 23 shots that's that's the type of stuff that you don't want to see from him you don't want to see him up in the 20s and shot attempts they're going to be nights where I think you want him taking a lot of shots. There are nights where he gets hot. I mean, he's playing great defense, and it kind of leads to him making shots on the offensive end when he really gets going. And those nights, you might want him taking shots. But for the the most part, you don't want to see him up with those high numbers. You want to see Josh, Jared, and and Bain up there as your top three uh, leaders in field goal goal shots in, in the game. And I think that's the balance that he has to testify. When everybody's healthy on this team, he can't have that same mentality that he has when, like, you go back to the period when Ja was out. And when Ja was out, man, you needed that offensive film. But now with Ja back, him doing what he's doing, Desmond Bain is taking the leap that we've seen him take this year. You don't need him to be be that guy. And again, man, he, he feels like he's this offensive juggernaut, and he's going to put those shots up. And I think that just has to be reined in a bit. But I definitely think he has a role in his team. You go back to, to what he does on the defensive end. I think the mentality that he brings and the energy that he brings, I think this team feeds off that. And I think a lot of times people discredit that. I think if you take him out of now, and they've been winning games without him, I mean, you can't deny that and how they look defensively. And you just spoke about that. But I think overall, I think his mentality and what he brings to this locker room, I think is discounted a lot. I think he means a lot more to this team, even than what you see on the stat sheet. And that's my thing why I think he's a big part of this team. But I can't agree that. Sometimes he gets tunnel vision, and you just don't want him taking those bad shots, especially when late in the game, the game's on line, and a lot of times he comes down and forces these shots. You just—that's what you can't have. But I mean, I think when everybody's healthy, man, if they can find a way to rein that in, I, I think he, he's a important piece for this team going forward.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the defense these last three games um, without both Milton and Dylan Brooks, I think the results aren't directly related to them being out and the defense still being good because we'll we'll all agree that D'Anthony Milton is a good defender and no doubt and, he, and he's been out. So like it's a little fluky to and and odd to just point at, oh, the defense is still good without, you know, so and so. Because really in the NBA it's 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 all about team defense and communication and your and your effort and dealing gives effort more than just about anybody in the league at all times. Um and so, a lot of it,
2: like you said. I think I was going to say a lot of it. I think has to do with the emergence of of Stephen Adams and him being a bit on the back line of that defense. He's improved a lot from from what he was doing early in the season. Uh, I mean, he seems to be moving better, and I think that's overall. I think what's really helped this defense, this team defensively, and why they kind of taken a leap because he wasn't giving them that earlier in the season. I mean, we thought kind of that trade off for moving Valentinus from offense to defense it was going to be him being able to move a little bit more in a pick and roll on defense and Early in the season, that just wasn't the case. But here lately, he's been he's been really good uh, here lately, and I think that's one of the big reasons why this team has improved defensively as of late. Yeah,
1: yeah no doubt. The, the Chris Paul against the Suns, you could tell that the drop wasn't as deep with Stephen Adams as it would have been with Jonas Valanciunas, and I think that made all the difference in the world. I think it also helps that they didn't have DeAndre Ayton out there. Oh, um, for sure. That yeah. definitely helps. <laughs> but I, I agree. Adams um, wasn't giving you what you were, were hoping for when they started, but he's he's been awesome since, and Jaron's been phenomenal as well on defense. So um, I, I think the perimeter defense, you know, I mean, that Warriors game, all, <laughs> the amount of threes that they hit, like, still struggled. Um, we still got to, you know, get better there. But I, I just want to point out that Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton – Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson all have very, very tradable contracts. And I don't think that's a coincidence or an accident. Um, I believe that all four of them are candidates to be consolidation pieces uh, contract-wise, including, you know, Jared Culver's tradable contract. So who knows um, really what Zach Kleinman is thinking about who is, you know, that important when it comes to the future, whether it's Dylan or DeAnthony. Um, I don't think that Tyus and um, – Kyle are as valued as those two, um, especially with the emergence of Desmond Bain as a secondary ball handler. Uh, I think that really eliminates the need for Tyus um, down the road, not necessarily immediately. Um, but, you know, it who knows what – obviously the guys like playing with Dylan. Um, you would see it sometimes last year. Kyle and, and Jonas would have to kind of rein him in when he gets get in his tunnel vision, like you mentioned. Um, but it seems like, you know, the guys – rock with him. I know that there was one play, an inbound play. I want to say it was the OKC game. My question is, let's zoom out a little bit. Is this on Taylor Jenkins? Because there's, there's moments where he just – he has – he compounds negatives where he forces a bad yeah. shot, goes yeah. down the floor and fouls, and then comes down the floor, turns it over, and it just – is is, Jen, is this on Jenkins? Because there's another – that uh, OKC game I'm talking about, the inbound play to tie it up. You, you cannot tell me that Taylor Jenkins drew up a play for anybody but Desmond Bain when we needed a three. But the play went to Dylan Brooks shooting a fadeaway in the corner. Um, is that Dylan saying – going to the huddle after they walked out saying, give me the freaking ball? Um, or did Jenkins really like – you know, did Dylan convince Jenkins in the, in the uh, huddle Hey, let me get this shot. I got this whatever. Like uh, is Jenkins partly responsible for the way that the game flow game flow goes with him in the game? Does he need to kind of try to rein him in more or is that like an assistant coach's job? Or do you think the team's like generally cool with it because of what all he brings? And
0: Isaac and I have kind of had that that conversation, not specifically yeah. about that game, but but we've talked about this and the Grizzlies' They don't have a guy – going back to the offseason when Patrick Beverly got traded here, and I know a lot of people don't like Pat Bev, but Beverly is a type of veteran that if somebody's kind of stepping out of line a little bit, he'll get in their face and he'll tell them about it. And the Grizzlies don't really have that guy. And so, to me, I I would like to see somebody – Tell Dylan to rein it in a little bit, like whether that falls on on Jenkins, another member of the coaching staff, or one of the players. But th- that's something that it's definitely like it's a great point because he is not he's not the type of he's not wired to back down. So if you don't have somebody to put him in check, this is what you're going to get. And, and you know what we, we we've been talking about it here. He brings a lot of positive stuff to the floor. If you look defensively this year, the, of the lineups that have been on the floor, 30 possessions or more, and that's a random number. I looked at the the possessions according to cleaning the glass. I didn't tailor this to fit my argument. I, <laughs> I didn't even look at the numbers before I cut, done the cutoff. But D- Dylan is in the top. He He's in three of the top five lineups for the Grizzlies defensively. And you, you look at—he has actually—and I was surprised. I know it was a Jaron at one point, but currently Dylan is sitting at the highest plus-minus on this team. So even with all of the the tunnel vision and the bad shot taking, like even with that stuff, he's still being a positive. We have seen flashes, and you know, if you disagree with this, I definitely want to want to hear where you're at with it, but. I think that we've seen growth from Dylan. There's passes that I've watched him make at times this year that he wasn't making two years ago in the bubble. And so we do still get the tunnel vision. You know, I'm taking this, you know, score at all costs. We still get that Dylan, but I I think that you're seeing growth. And and I think that a lot of that growth comes from Jenkins and the staff.
2: I I, I think he's even improved at finishing at the ramp, man. He used to, miss a lot of those shots and he's finishing those shots and as david said man he makes some passes now that a couple years ago there's no way he was letting that thing go uh he, he wouldn't wouldn't pass make those passes that he's making so he's definitely improved i mean we see games like the two that i just mentioned at portland game and that game against okc where he can still kind of go back to them, revert back to some of the, the bad habits that he has but i think he's improved in a lot of areas i think he and he talked about this about the, the year after the bubble how he looked back on his performance and he didn't like what he saw on film. And and he and you could see some growth from him coming back, uh, even into last year, and I think even more this year. I mean, there's still some issues that I think when everybody's healthy, he has to, to find a way to, to kind of fit into the role that he should be in more and, and stop taking so many shots. But I think think we've seen growth from him. But every now and then he can revert back to some of the some of the bad dealing uh that we've seen you just and, and you're gonna get that with the type of player he is, his mentality. I mean, he's Offensive mind and thinks he wants to put up shots. I mean, you're gonna kind of see that sometimes, but you just can't can't have the 23, 24, 25 shots, and you're looking up. Josh has 12 shots. Jared has 11 shots. You just can't have that.
1: Yeah. So I, I'll say this: there, especially early in the season, there was a uh, a noticeable willingness by Dylan Brooks to pass the ball more often than normal. Um, and a lot of that, it seemed like to be on his drives. Um, he would drive and dish it to Steven Adams or he'd drive and kick where normally when he was driving, that's when he was like, I'm putting this up at all costs. Um, so I, and it, looking at the stats, he, his assist percentage is a career high this year per, uh, percentage of, of the possessions that he has that he ends it with an assist is at like 15%, which is 4% higher than last year and 5% higher than his career average. Um, so there's there's obviously that, and his turnover percentage is the lowest it has ever been, while his usage percentage is up. Um, so there is obviously an, an improvement there, and I can I can agree that there's been improvement um since about March of last year, um, the calendar year, and um it's just it felt like it was really forced early because he he knew it, and the coaching staff knew it. And then as the season kind of went on and he was kind of getting into the groove of the game again, he began to revert and go back to, to old Dylan Brooks where we were getting one or two rebounds and one or two assists and 20-plus shots. I remember one game uh, Jaren had was like eight for nine in the first half, and he came out and got two shots in the second half while Dylan went two for twelve. And that's the kind of stuff that y'all y'all have mentioned that y'all you know. And I saw David your tweet the day that it happened, and and really that's when I was just like, wait a second, you know, I'm I'm not alone in all this. Um, I, I'm not crazy in in thinking some of the things that I think. I may be um, on the extreme end of it, um, but I, I'm not crazy for thinking some of the things I think. And then I actually, uh, we had a team Christmas party, and one of the assistant coaches' husbands was like telling me he feels the same exact way, and. I was just like, I walked out of there. I looked at my wife. I was like, I'm not alone. Like, I'm not, I'm not fighting this battle by myself. (laughs) Um, but, and, and what's crazy is like, I cover the Grizzlies and, I I work for a website that covers the Grizzlies and i do a podcast that covers the Grizzlies. And like, we, we know this team is active in reading what what all we talk about. And I don't think they probably listen to podcasts, but they read it and they see the stuff on Twitter. And I understand that I have somewhat of a brand of being the Dylan Brooks hater, um, but I don't necessarily want to be that what I want is for me to come out on Twitter one day and be like, Hey, look, everything I said about Dylan's wrong. (laughs) He is so important to this team. Um, But that, that comes with him fitting into the role that is best for this team. Um, And we've seen it in, in spurts and we've seen bad Dylan in spurts. And like I said, last year, it was one of those deals where, like, I'm talking with Parker Fleming. He's, he's basically getting on to me and saying, hey, man, you're, you're talking way too much negative about Dylan. Talk about something else. And it was one of those deals where I just had to accept it and be like, all right, this is just what we're going to get. This is what it's going to be. But, like, I'm at the point now where I feel like we don't have to accept it anymore because we have the talent on this team to not put up with that. Um, I, you know, I, when he gets hot, like, I, I'd really see Desmond Bain get cooking in the first quarter like he does. Um, I, I don't like ending a first quarter and, Dil- and Desmond Baines taking one or two shots. I don't like ending the first quarter and Jaron Jackson Jr. doesn't have a touch. Um, I, I'd rather see Dylan either come off the bench or now when they stagger minutes, stagger um, Bain and Jaron away from Dylan and let those two cook with the bench. Just, I, I just don't want him to take away from what the best things are for this team. And I, I know y'all agree with, with, with that as well. Um, y'all just aren't uh, – y'all, y'all are just fans of him while <laughs> I am not.
2: Well, I, I want to I kind of piggyback on, on something that you said you are talking about other guys getting shots and, and specifically Jerry Jackson Jr. I personally still think Taylor in and staff, I, I don't think they do a fantastic job of getting him looks, getting him touches, especially there, there are a lot of games where he has mismatches where – there's no way the guy that's guarding him can, can guard him. And there, we see it at times. They've been a little bit better as of late, but I still don't think they exploit mismatches with Jaron enough. I don't think they run enough for Jaron. I think a lot of stuff he gets is probably all broken plays. They don't actually run the play for him. How much of that do you think is on the coaching staff versus how much is it on Jaron himself?
1: Yeah. So I, I actually had a, I, I came up with an idea about a piece, um, fitting Ja and Jaron together because that ultimately that has to be what works. Uh those two have to be able to coexist at a high level for this to ever work. No matter if it's Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, D'Anthony Melton, any any supporting cast doesn't matter if these two don't fit. And and so far through their careers, they don't work together on the floor.
2: Yeah. Outside of the bubble, that's that's about the only time where they've really both played at a high level together. I mean that and we and me and David have talked about that a lot this year. We still haven't seen it even this year in the times that they played, they haven't been great together
1: no and i I think a lot of this is some coaching staff stuff um but the other part of it is when jaron doesn't have it going from outside he when jaw was was out injured jaron's success was attacking the basket attacking the basket attacking the basket well what what is jaw's success attacking the basket like they occupy the same spaces needed to be successful at a high level and then if you look at spot up numbers and and attempts on the floor, when Ja and Jaron on the floor together, Jaron just turns into this floater around the perimeter waiting to jack yeah. up a three. And like that's that's just not it. What has to happen is that Taylor Jenkins and the staff, like you guys are saying, they need to start scheming some stuff to get Jaron some touches early in the game and then stagger the minutes because ultimately one of those two guys need to be on the floor at all times, anyways. So when you get Jaron out of the game. You let Ja and Dylan run together and then bring Desmond Bain and, and Jaron Jackson back in to work with the bench unit and let those two guys be the featured guys to get going. And then if Jaron's got it going that game and jaw has got it going that game, when it comes closing time, we're in we're in good shape. But if Jaron's out there trying to feel his way into the game, the whole game, because he's not getting the touches, the Grizzlies are not going to be the ultimate version of what they could be.
0: You know, I, I feel like sometimes – and this happened multiple times last night. He, you know, Isaac mentioned him getting a mismatch. They they don't get him the ball. He yeah. had Stanley Johnson was was guarding him quite a, yeah. quite a, a a ton actually last night, and he had nothing for him. Jaron they got Jaron the ball in the post three times when Stanley Johnson was on him. Jaron scored twice, and he just barely missed from scoring the third time. And they just kind of stayed away from it. And, and I don't. I don't know where that comes from. I know that, you know, back to the basket basketball is not exactly, you know, top of what what you want to be doing right now. But when you have a mismatch like that down there, Jaren, he's shown more than once that he has the ability and the skills to play back to the basket and be effective at it. And there were times... When, when the three wasn't going, where his inside game, you know, in this stretch without job, was really strong. And he was still able to get over 20, even though he wasn't making any threes. So, I – we don't really know, like, where, where that's coming from, if it's the players himself or it's the coaching staff. But, but that's something for me that I would like to see change. You know, when, when he gets a smaller guy, if he gets a switch to Malik Monk in the post or, you know, insert whatever guard when he comes up to set that screen – Getting the ball in the post and let him go to work. And I'm not of the mindset that oh, he's a seven footer. He needs to play in the paint. No, he, he can shoot the ball from three just fine. But you know, you, you have to adjust to the game as it comes to you. And I feel like that's one of the one of the areas where they're not great.
1: Yeah, yeah but you at, look at oh, the Phoenix game. Look. Cam Johnson was the one, the primary defender on on Jaren Jackson yeah. Jr. And you you think Cam Johnson can guard Jaren <laughs> Jackson all game. Jr. We said it all
2: game. Yeah, absolutely
1: yeah. not. He took 11 shots. That's that's just uh, that's got to be. I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Uh Isaac, I know you're about to say something. I just wanted to throw Cam Johnson as an example out there.
2: Yeah, oh man. Yeah, I was saying it the whole game. I was like, man, he Cam Johnson. There's no way that he can guard him in, in the paint. And go back to Davis' point. You want him taking the threes, but for me, I prefer him to be inside out instead of outside in. And You'll see at times, you'll see a couple of design plays. Uh, like last night, he went at Stanley Johnson, got two scores, and then they'll kind of go away from it. I'm like, stay with what works. I mean, I, I remember the last time they played the Lakers, he was just killing Carmelo Anthony, uh, just going straight at him, a couple baskets, and then they stopped going to it. He started back floating around the perimeter and shooting threes, and now that Jaws back, you kind of see that even more, that he is just floating out there, just kind of, standing around wait for, for somebody to give him a perimeter look and not going inside. And as you say, Ja is the person that dominates in the paint, the player that dominates in the paint. So that kind of gets, they kind of get in the way of each other, but they got to find a way to kind of mix it up uh, because I think Jared is too important to what this team is going to be going forward, man. you got to find a way to, to have those guys coexist together. And for the most part, we just haven't, haven't seen them play really well together. And, and I, and I think, there's a way for it to make it work because Jared is too talented not to. I mean, we've seen what he can do on these mismatches in the paint, even going back to his rookie year. He can play with his basket back to the basket. I know that's not modern basketball and not what teams want to do right now, man. But you stick with what works. But if you have a guy that can, can do that plus hit threes, I mean that makes him even even more dangerous. And I love to see when he goes inside and get those paint touches. And I just don't think we see it enough.
1: Yeah, I, I don't want to see Jared be relegated to being Chris Bosch in Miami. I, I want no, to see no. I want to see yeah I want to see he has more in that. Right, right, exactly. I want to see Jaron attack the basket like Giannis uh Kumbo does. Mm-hmm. And if if you look at what the, the Bucks have built, there's one guy where his strength is the paint, and that's Giannis. Now we've got two guys whose strength is scoring at the basket. So they and then you got Steven Adams, who uh, I mean, he, he rebounds and sets screens. Um so I mean ultimately the contending version of this team is not going to have somebody at the five they can't do anything besides set screens and rebound like y- your goal is for that to be Jaron, but you've got to figure it out before you get to that point of how these two are going to be able to work together in a game plan and how they can share that space on the floor and make it work at a high level.
0: Yep, absolutely man. I I'm still of the mindset that I think that this is going to work out. I think they're going to be fine. The the chemistry yeah, be, between those yeah. two, you know, it, it's bigger than basketball. With you know, like they're they're legitimately friends, and and you know, you can have teammates that you get along with, but there there's different levels of it. And John Jaron are legitimately friends, and so that's why you know, it, maybe it's just me being optimistic because I love the Grizzlies and I want to see them succeed. But I, I think that they they can coexist. It's all about getting the the scheme and, and, you know, designing the offense to operate around these guys. Do you think long-term, I know you said you, you want that guy to be Jaron. Uh, for me, I, I don't know that Jaron is a true five. Yeah, he's seven foot. I, I get that. I understand it. But, you know, Dirk well, was a near seven footer and he never really played the five his whole career. Do you feel like long term the Grizzlies putting Jaron at the five would be the goal and would that work?
1: Uh man <laughs> if he doesn't get stronger, um I, I don't think it can work because you're gonna run into the Joel Embiids um and the, the Nikolai Jokic that are just gonna bully him, put him in foul trouble. Um but we have to remember that he he can't even you know rent a car yet. So you look at the the uh, the body transformation that Giannis took from when he got drafted to where he is now. Um, Jaron has transformed his body as well. Um, he's still going to get stronger. Um, I think that that that's what the front office wants to do, yeah. um, but I f- I don't know how they're going to be able to figure out if that's going to be the end game if they don't like try it now obviously they took the training wheels off by getting rid of valentunas and and bringing in adams but adams is always just he's just a protection for the really just the rebounding honestly because jaron has shown through the beginning of his career that that's a weakness of his and if uh if steven adams wasn't there who the hell would rebound um so i I think that's really what adams is there for um as a while jaron grows we need somebody out there that's going to rebound um, but I think defensively at the five, outside of guarding, you know, the the rare guys like Embiid and, and uh, Jokic, I, I think he can be fine. Um, I think offensively it would be a, an amazing thing if, you know, long-term you've got somebody like Brandon Clark next to him um, that can really run the pick and rolls. And Jaron is out there in the corner waiting for, you know, the, the pick and pops and whatever. Um, I just – if, if you were to ask me and, and ask me to put money on it right now that the Grizzlies win with Jaron as their long-term starting five, I, I don't think I could put much more than a dollar on it because um, I, I haven't seen enough to give me any confidence in it.
2: Yeah, I've, I've always been skeptical of it. Um, as, as Justin said, I think the front office, I think that's the plan. I think that's kind of been the plan for a while now, but I just don't know long-term if that's, going to be the way it plays out because uh, again I, I think when you're going up against bigger centers like you said them beads the uh, Jokic, uh Jokic's of the world I think it's a, a tough cover for him and I just think the rebounding is an is issue I think if if you have a guy like Brandon Clark next to him at the four that can rebound a basketball or, or, or a guy that can really rebound the basketball I think it could work but I, I think I'm with Justin I think if I had to put money on it that if this team turns into what we think it can uh, a couple of years down the line, I would bet money that Jared Jackson Jr. is probably still not your starting five if they if they do reach that level.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's where I'm at. you know I, I've said and Isaac knows you know when we're looking at at draft prospects and stuff along the way.
2: Yeah, man, he was trying know, to get a center this year. <laughs> yeah,
0: <they're> like <laughs> that, that. That's that's what I want, man. I want a guy that's a, a traditional big and it's somebody that can get in there and bang. With you know, and uh, again, it's it's very there's a limited amount of guys that you're going to have matchup issues with, with Jaron playing at the five, but those are the guys that you're going to have to go through to get to a title. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, moving forward, as the Nuggets get healthy, you know, Murray and Jokic are still young enough. When they get healthy, that team's going to be dangerous, and the Grizzlies are likely going to have to go through them in the West. You're or you're going to have to go through Utah with Rudy Gobert. And that's, you know, we, we were talking about the the playoff standings and where the Grizzlies are right now and that was a team the only team in the west that puts any fear in me at all is the jazz because of the matchup for the grizzlies i think that they can play any of the other teams that are in the playoff race right now and have a legitimate shot at winning that series i just don't think it happens with utah because of gobert and just the way that that team is built
1: well at least at least gobert is not an offensive threat too much um yeah but uh, his length is gives Jaron, you know, a little bit of fits because he's not strong enough to bump Gobert off a spot. Like Valanchunas was. Um, So until he can learn uh, how to finish at the rim over the bigger guys, because, because really at the beginning of the season, Jaron was not hitting anything at the rim. And then I don't remember what game it was where it just clicked for him, but all of a sudden he's finishing everything at the rim and looking good, but he's also not going up against the eighties and the, the Rudy Bears, the elite rim protectors uh, at the moment.
2: Yeah, man, we're talking with Justin Lewis from Grizzly Bear Blues and Basketball News. Joining us here on the Ethos Grizzly Podcast, man, I want to switch gears a little bit and, and talk about Ja. Um, there's been times I've been calling him a superstar for a while. There's been a lot of people before this kind of reach and stretch that would kind of say, oh, man, pump the brakes on that a little bit. I wouldn't call him superstar yet, but I mean, you see him last night, man, going toe-to-toe with LeBron James. Uh, LeBron James had one of his best games of the, of the year. Uh, almost had a triple-double with 37 points last night. And Jaws out dueling him. Uh, ja, the Grizzlies win the game. I mean, you saw him hit game winner against Phoenix in the game previously. And, and he's just putting up these ridiculous numbers. And I think now I think all that talk is over. I think you can call Ja Morant a bona fide superstar, even what you see him doing off the – off the court with the Nike commercial, I mean, he's resonating outside of Memphis. Something that we haven't had. I mean, we've had the core four and guys that we really appreciated here, and people outside of Memphis appreciate him. But with Ja, it, it's a little bit different. Uh Can I talk about your thoughts on Ja? Is he a superstar, and what's the ceiling? I mean, we're seeing this already. We're in year three, man. Where is does is there another level he can get to? What are kind of your thoughts on on Ja Morant and where we are with him right now?
1: Yeah, um, he is a bona fide, solidified superstar at this point in his career. Um, I, I I probably would have been one of the ones early on saying, Hey, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, there's no doubt that he was a star from the get go. Um, but superstar is just this different level of guy and, um, he's there and he should be an all-star, uh, starter. Um, no doubt. Uh, it's, it, I was talking to my wife about it actually today. Um, it's just one of those deals where you never know what the heck is going to happen when he takes the floor. And that's why he's must watch TV. Um, like everybody talks about these league pass alerts and, you know, these teams that you should be watching. John Morant is league pass alert every time he touches the ball because he just does stuff where you're just left. Like, how did he do that? Like, this isn't even possible. Like the three-pointer that he made at, uh, at the buzzer. Like,
2: In a third quarter.
1: And then yeah. he's doing the gritty down the floor. Gritty, yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> you, it, it's just one thing after another with him. And um, the, 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 the killer in him, like he's sitting there, his arm is dangling at his side and he's out there staying in the game. And then even had the balls to shoot a three when his arm, he couldn't even feel his arm at that point. Um, it's just, he is already the best player to ever suit up. For the Memphis Grizzlies, and some people don't like that at all because they're so no.
2: they will go back to the Conley and like it's disrespectful to Conley. Man, it it just is what it is. Conley was fantastic, and what he meant to this franchise and, and, and the city will never be understated. But I mean, you could see. I mean, and and this is no disrespect to Mike. I, I love Mike and what he contributed. But you could see from year one that this was gonna be different. I mean, he's just a different level of player. I mean, you never you we never saw from Mike Conley what we saw from John Morant last night. I mean, it's just a different level of basketball player. And this is, he's the best player to put on the Grizzlies uniform and he's in year three. And you can say that legit right now that there, there's no question about it.
1: Yeah. And there shouldn't be a debate because it's, it's not disparaging what Conley not and Gasol and Zebo did. It's, it's its just pure basketball talent. And if you think that any of them had more basketball talent than John Morant, then you're in denial, <laughs> plain and simple.
0: <laughs> I was talking, my, my son was at the game with me last night and we were talking about it on the way back, and and I, I'm saying this, I don't want to sound like too dramatic, but I was telling him, I'm like, this this game is like a signature game for Ja Morant. When when you're going, you know, in, in, in 10 years from now, when they're telling the story about Ja Morant, wherever his career goes, I feel like this game from last night is going to be in there because it was, you know, a, a young and up-and-coming superstar against the old guard and he outdoed him. And that's something like, I I don't think a lot of fans in Memphis are taking the time to appreciate the level of talent that he is. And that's, you know, obviously there are some, you know, like if you are one that's taking the time to appreciate it, good for you. And and I'm not, you know, intentionally trying to point anybody specifically out, but I I don't think a lot of people realize just how good he is and, and what he's doing for the, you know, the franchise and the city, because, I can't tell you, when when I would travel and and go to different arenas to watch basketball games, I don't know that I ever saw a Grizzlies jersey unless they were playing the Grizzlies. I've been to New Orleans a few times now, and I've been to games when they were not playing the Grizzlies, and there'd be kids in there, like in the freaking Smoothie King Arena, and they had John Morant jerseys on, and he wasn't even there playing. So it's just far and away above anybody that – Played for them while they were, you know, like during the core four era.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, and I tweet this out all the time, and I try to tell Grizzly fans, man, don't take this for don't take this advantage of this, man, or take this for granted. I mean, I mean, these this is something special that we're getting to witness right now, and it's something that we've never never had before. So, definitely don't take it for granted. And again, I mean, I think just like David just said, I mean, you see people around the country, I, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm not even worried about as far as him being an all-star, I think he has a chance to be voted in as an all-star starter. I think because people outside of Memphis know John Morant, and that's just something that this Grizzlies team has never had. I mean, we've had really good players on this team, but, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice here. Uh, <clears throat> I think he's a perfect fit for the city. I mean, just the, the swagger that he has, the, the way he plays the game, he's fearless, and he wants to take those big shots and big moments. I mean, we were in the press for those the other night, and, I, I mean, I can't even remember what the exact quote was, but he basically said they need a, a score, need to play. And he went out and made a play. And it's as simple as that. And I love that attitude and the swagger that he plays the game with because that's what you want in superstar players. You want them to have that mentality to say, I want the basketball. We're down one. There's 10 seconds left. Give me the basketball. I'm going to go get us a bucket. And he, you could see that from day one uh, of, of his rookie year that he had that mentality. And I think he's even more confident in himself in his game now. And I think his teammates feed off of that, and it's just tremendous, man. It's fantastic to be able to to watch his maturation process in real time. I, I'm just enjoying it, man. And I think there's going to be many more moments like last night and the game won against Phoenix. I think this is just beginning. I don't think this is something that, that that's going to slow down anything. I think it's only going to get greater. I think he's a shoe in to be an all-star this year. And, and, man, we're lucky. Those ping-pong balls fell to, to number two because I think – Ball number one, man, we'd be dealing with what they're dealing with down in New Orleans right now, and and I think we're we're definitely better for it, not not having that happen.
1: You know, I I'd, I'd like to believe that Zach Kleiman is smart enough that I think he still would have taken Jaw at number one. Um, but talking about ping pong balls, I was actually going to bring this up. Think about um, in in Jaren's draft if. Dallas wouldn't have done what you know they did and and uh the Hawks decided that they were going to go with Trey Young at 3
2: man and think they, about that all the time and and the Grizzlies the <laughs> Grizzlies go going. Luka
1: at yeah. 4 we don't go into a rebuild at that point we're we're yeah. trying to contend still with Mark and Mike and where we would be right now we would look at we honestly would be looking like Dallas just Luka yep. and nothing else um but the way that the basketball gods have smiled at us with the ping pong balls and um, just Zach Kleiman and, and that whole front office and their their ability to identify talent and guys like D'Anthony Melton. And, and look, look, Grayson Allen is balling out from Milwaukee. And, you know, he had his role here last year. Um, we are blessed. And people do not understand, like you said, how lucky we are as Memphis fans to not be Sacramento, to not be New Orleans, to, to be in a situation where our rebuild is so accelerated that we're, we're talking about a potential – he, he could legitimately and probably should make an all NBA team this year. Um, And we get to have this guy because he's going to sign on the dot, this max contract that he's going to yeah. get. So, the,
2: break, you know. the break truck is coming, but they're, they, they're going to back it up, man. He's, he's going to resign. He's going to be here. 200, 200 and a lot is going to be uh, on the table for John Morant, man. But, uh, man, sign him up, pay him, man, because, I mean, it's special. Uh, again, what, what he's able to do out there. And, and again, man, the – and not only, like I said, what he does on the floor—it's just him and this community, and the way he fits is like a glove, man. It's just perfect. And yeah. and you think about you think about these situations. You kind of said this a second ago, how in real time you think back uh, at these situations, and you're upset about them, and you look back and like, what would have happened if they had taken Luca, and, and we wouldn't be where we are right now. Uh, just different situations if things go a different way. You kind of look back and like, man, we were lucky that things didn't go this way. So. Uh, again, man, it, it's special to have John Moran in the Grizzlies uniform. I mean, the Nike commercial and uh, says who would – I mean, it's just so so perfect for this franchise and for this city, man. I, I don't think they could have found a better fit. No, I agree.
0: So, man, I, I think we're going to wrap it up. We, we ran pretty long here. It's good, though. It's, it's been great conversation. Yeah, man,
2: great conversation for sure. Justin,
0: I, I, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on with us. I'm sure that we'll have you back on again if you're willing to come on, That of course. But uh, before you go, let everybody know where they can find you and, and tell them where they can get all of your work. And I know um, you're, you're doing something for – is it uh, Ole Miss that you're writing for as well, right?
1: You're doing Red, Red like, Cup Rebellion? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm at SB Nation um, has – you know, they cover every team. And so I, I got lucky enough to get on with and, and Red Cup Rebellion, a, a, a blog site that I was reading before SB Nation existed uh, when I was in, in college. So I, I've been fortunate – They they actually – brought me on to be their basketball expert quote unquote um i don't know that i'm that but they a lot of their guys are basketball focused over, or football focused over there so they brought somebody in with some basketball background so i'm i'm doing that there and then you can find me at, at spn grizzlies uh which is grizzly bear blues on the sp nation site um i'm on twitter at j underscore timberfake underscore um and there is definitely a story behind that but i'll do that next time uh you guys have me on <laughs> um and i'm making Maybe my look, debut look forward to that yeah <laughs> um my debut piece for um basketballnews.com should be coming out in a couple of weeks i'm going to be looking at the four players in the nba that are going to be x factors in determining uh the nba title this year and uh i'll give you a sneak peek to me one of the most important players in this in the league is michael bridges for phoenix so um excited Ooh, to get to, to look at the nba as a whole
2: yeah, Good man, stuff. definitely be on. A, I was gonna say, definitely be on the lookout for that, man. I'll be interested to to read that one. And, uh, and Mikel Bridges is definitely, I think, a uh, huge linchpin for for that Phoenix team and, and what they're able to do. I think if he steps up and and, and plays to the the ability I think he can, I think that takes that and elevates that Phoenix team to a different level, man. But we definitely appreciate you jumping on here with us, man, and uh, we appreciate what you guys do over at GBB. Um, Joe ball and, and and Parker and all you guys over there do a fantastic job. And I, I enjoy reading the stuff.
1: Yeah. I, I appreciate you guys having me on David. You've been uh, very kind to me, Isaac. I know we've had our back and forth on Twitter and I think they've all been about <laughs> Brooks anyways. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you guys, you guys do some good work. Y'all are, they're great followers on Twitter as well. Great to be in the, the Grizzlies community with y'all. So, uh, I definitely hope to be back on and, uh, I'll have to get you guys on with me and Ben Hogan over at the three and D podcast one day sure I'm oh, sure
2: Any man all <laughs> anytime right.
0: all right guys we appreciate you tuning in you can get the show on twitter at ethos grizzlies that's e-t-h-o-s ethos grizzlies i'm at dwill 2111 isaac let them know where they can find you and get us out of here man
2: yeah man you can find me on twitter at isaac underscore rivals that's i-s-a-a-c underscore rivals man Grizzly put a, a, a big game tomorrow night i know you kind of look at it and it's the san antonio spurs but i think if if you want to not, I tweet this out. If, if you want to be a really good basketball team, you want to avoid letdowns. And they, they have a tough week next week. And you're coming off two big victories. You got the victory at Phoenix and, of course, against the Lakers last night. And you don't want that letdown. This is an important game. I think you finish the month at 12-4 and 4 of December. If you win this one, man, get a victory on the home floor because you got five and seven to start next week. And that's going to be a, a tough run, man. So they need to come out and take care of business. I don't know if Devontae Murray going to be back. He was helping safety protocols, and so we'll see what happens with that, but looking forward to that game, and we'll be back sometime this weekend with a post-game. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the ETHOS podcast, and until next time, we go. And that will conclude our Sports
0: ETHOS presentation.